we're really kind of tagging on. We have been uh, looking at and gaining great understanding on uh, the authority of God, the authority of Scripture, uh, the truth uh, that it represents. We've looked a lot at that over the last six weeks, and it really is appropriate that we take a look at this from the context of Christmas. And so we're going to see it as the authority of Scripture in Christmas. Probably the advantage is it's the single greatest lens to understand the power and the presence of God infinitely over time. If you remember, <clears throat> we kind of looked at um, a number of pieces. Um, first is the, um, go ahead. The idea that when God says something, it's going to happen. And nothing has the power to stop God's words from producing. Not Satan, not all the demons, not all the men, women, power, money, position. And, and, to, and to wrestle with that very fact can prevent you from wrestling with God. It, it becomes important to know the word if we recognize that the word is not revocable by you or I. It, not, it does not become optional. If I opt out, I'm not a Christian. I don't believe in God. I don't believe in Jesus. I don't believe in the Bible. It will not turn one of those words around. Doesn't, not, doesn't matter what I believe, how it affects my belief system, how that works, is the word brings power into my life for good when I give it the authority of believing. So, so that's, that's the understanding we need to take of Scripture when we go back in time. Uh, what we did is we put together this understanding of three big pictures, and the uh, first big picture, we'll go to the next one, there you go, is what we call the story. And, and that is that baseline story of understanding. Man's creation in God's image, very good. Uh, mankind's fall, his inability, his or her inability to restore themselves out of the fall. We were not and are not and will never be capable of our own restoration, no matter how smart, how wise, how, how, how talented we might be. God's sacrificial love towards mankind, his intention of restoration toward mankind. And then the irony is his empowerment of mankind to participate in that rescue operation. All those are big picture of you and I and part of that truth that will not fail. The second picture that we had is what we called the rescue. This is the role that Jesus plays as he comes. And he declares, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, I am the only way to know me is to know God, to see me is to see God. <clears throat> and then finally, the big picture of our new citizenship, it's the truth is our absolute foundation for our character and behavior, our values, our priorities. It reflects our creator, our savior, it brings about the transformation of our being, and it makes us powerful 
witnesses of his and agents of his. Christmas is the greatest lens of time. If we want to see the power and the authority of God's word, all we have to do is look at Christmas. In the birth of Jesus, Romans chapter 5, verse 6 says, When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. You see, long ago, all the way back, right after the fall of man, the separation of God and man, God declared something. The day will come when I will get back what I've lost. That day will come when I take it back. That was thousands of years earlier. And the lesson we must learn is we don't understand the timing always with God. And in that timing, you can become frustrated. You can become hopeless. You can become angry. You can become arrogant. You can become foolish. But none of that will change his time frame, and none of it will change his truth. And what we see in Christmas is how powerful his word is. Because he said, I will come. I will come. God will come. He will come in the form of man. He will will take the place of man. He will step into the the shoes of man, into the life of man. He will humble himself from creator to created. And from that vantage point, he will walk mankind through death into eternal life. He will walk mankind out of being estranged into being made alive with the Father. Jesus was born. It was that time. In the meantime, in the fall, we have been left with all kinds of moral compasses. Our feelings, our desires, our experiences, our anger, our logic, our hate, our joy, our lust, all these things have been the compass of our life's direction. And then we had the birth of Jesus. I want to look at that story because I want us to see what truth does, how it operates when the truth of God shows up. Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 28. This is a long passage, but it's in a passage you are familiar with. We're just going to pull some pieces out of it. Um, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. And Gabriel the angel, appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. You know, if if an angel of the Lord showed up, Greetings, favored woman or favored man. The Lord is with you. Okay. 
what is the other shoe about to do? We don't know. Mary, it says, confused and disturbed. I can't imagine she's any more confused and disturbed when she finds out that she's pregnant as a virgin. But she's starting out confused and disturbed. And Mary tried to think of what the angel could mean. So there is enough time here for her to ponder this powerful greeting. I want you to see this greeting as an ancient greeting. This is a greeting that was birthed in Genesis chapter 3. This is a greeting that rides on the truth and the authority that cannot be stopped. This is the greeting that all of darkness tried to prevent. This is an old greeting. This is an ancient greeting. But its power is peaking in the moment. Greetings, lady. This is a great day, and you are indeed incredibly over-the-top blessed. I can just see him doing some kind of a dance, you know. This is it. This is the one. Yeah, yeah. He breaks it out, and she's like, I mean, have you ever seen like a really magnificent angel like break dance or something. I don't know. It could be a little scary. Don't be afraid, Mary. See, that was the break dancing, I think. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her. For you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. You will name him Jesus. And he will be very great. And he will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his ancestor David. And he will reign over all Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. You see, Mary knew what these words meant. This is the King of Kings. This is the promised one. This is the Messiah. This is the answer to, to the dilemma. This is what Christmas is made of. It's made of that freedom of, that's ancient of days coming into the lives of humanity. Mary knows exactly what this statement means. The angel pulls out the stops and says, this is the ancient promise happening right now. No more waiting. No more hopelessness. No more tears. No more frustration. This is it. Of course, Mary did have a few detail questions. Like, really, how's that going to happen since I'm a virgin? That's a reasonable question. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. Wow. How do you sleep after that one? Okay, thank you. I'm going to go home and make dinner. Nothing is the same. Nothing is the same. 
when you encounter the ancient promise of the Most High God. Let me put it a different way. Nothing is the same when you encounter Christmas. Nothing stays the same because you have encountered the Son of God coming into you. See, we think of Mary as different. The Son of God was birthed in her. But you see, we receive God and he comes to dwell in us in the person of the Holy Spirit. We are called blessed. We are called favored of the Most High God and blessed among men. For who in humanity has the power to take on the very presence of the Creator God in them and operate from that fullness and from that, that power? No man has the power to do that, but we are favored of God. The angel goes on, Gabriel, what's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant and in her old age, people used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. The verse 37 must stick out to us. For the word of God never fails. The ancient word of God never fails. There was an encounter uh, many years ago in Vietnam. And there was a, uh, some soldiers that were trapped by the Viet Cong. And, and so the soldiers said, well, here's, here's what we want out of this deal. Acting like they actually had some control, and they're surrounded by, you know, 40 Viet Cong soldiers. And the commander of the Viet Cong looked at him and smirked and said, you're very outnumbered to be making any demands. And the American soldier looked at him and shook his head and said, we are never outnumbered. And he put his hand in the air. And four Huey gunships just come right up over the tree line and sit there hovering with their twin guns on the crowd. We make the mistake of seeing ourselves as alone. But I want you to know, the word of God never leaves you alone. The word of God never deserts you. It never abandons you. The promise, the power, and the word of God is there to sustain you, to uphold you. And we go through struggles, we go through trials, we go through reversals, we go through disappointment. But the word never fails in those moments. Christmas never fails. It, it delivers, and it delivers in our lives over and over again. As we read the words, for the word of God will never fail. With the truth of God with you, you are never outnumbered. 
You're never behind. Mary responds, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left. In this story, we, we, we see this encounter with Mary. We're going to look at the encounter with, with Joseph as well and with a little bit of the other encounter with the wise men. But we see with Mary that God brings Mary into his truth unfolding. Just like he does us. We look at Mary. I'm not saying Mary wasn't incredibly special. But I, what I am trying to say is we, we, we separate ourselves sometimes from these people that we saw as power players. We look at ourselves as like the third string, the fourth string, you know, the deep bench. But that's not how you are described. We are described as an equal part of that promise, an equal part of that ancient story. What Mary said was, let your story be true in me exactly like you said. You see, that's the words we're missing sometimes. Father, let your story be played out in me exactly the way you said it. Because when you take your Bible and you look at the story, the Christmas story is about his story playing out in you exactly the way he said it. And when we take his words and we put the authority of our life into them, we say, I am following those words no matter what. I'm going to base my happiness my livelihood, my contentment, I'm basing it all on those words right there. I'm pulling the power of my desires and my, and my experiences and all these things as my compass. And I am now putting the full weight of my will and my person in the truth that will never fail. That's what Mary says. What you're saying, let those words take their full effect, bring their complete yield in my life. That's a surrender. That's an obedience. Instead of saying, well, will I have stretch marks? Will you take care of my image in the community? If I have this king child, perfect child, will he get along with others? Can I have other kids? Is Joseph going to hang with me on this? Can we wait till after I'm married? This would be much less complex after I'm married. How, you know, how much more time? I mean, it's been a couple of thousand years. Well, it's another like six months. We do that. We do that. Instead of saying, Father, let your word, let, let the full authority that I have to give it, let me give it to your word that it may be accomplished exactly the way you have said it over me. You see, that's entering into Christmas. That's entering in to God's story of rescue. The greatest story of all time. We see the truth promised from the beginning 
unfolding, taking form, taking the form of flesh in this very moment here. God also intervenes with Joseph. We read in Matthew, we're going to pick up chapter 1. I think these are all in the New Living, starting with 18 uh, through verse 24. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her fiancé, was a good man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. Don't you find that interesting? I mean, under their law, she could have been stoned to death. What about his humiliation? I mean, he really didn't buy, like, the holy conception thing, you know? I don't know why. I mean, I'm sure that story has been used again, you know. I, th I think it's immaculate. He didn't buy the story. But he did not want to humiliate her. He showed mercy. Isn't that like Jesus? To somebody who has allegedly wronged him, taken advantage of him. And back then, an engagement was had a legal binding to it. I mean, she, I mean, there's a breaking here. They call it actually divorcing her. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, as she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child she will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. He took Mary as his wife, but he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. I want us to see some things here about Joseph and about God in this story. First, Joseph, as I've said, Joseph's first instinct is to show mercy. And we see that God visits him in a dream and gives him direction. God intervenes. You see, God is willing and does, in fact, intervene in our lives to preserve our place in his story. 
I, I want you to hear that. God intervenes. We, we just see it here. He intervenes in your life. He is willing to speak into your life in order that you will be able to walk out his truth in your life. God intervenes. God has the power to intervene to bring direction to you and I. And just like Mary, Joseph follows God's truth. Even though it makes him look foolish. Even though it looks like he's marrying a pregnant chick. Even though things could be said about him. He does what God says. He is saying, Lord, let it be done according to what you have said over me. He and Mary followed what God told them. They named their son Jesus. So we see that God intervenes in the lives of humans. He intervenes in the story to keep the story pure, to keep the storyline true, to make his truth continue to happen. He looks over it. He protects it. And that's what I want us to look at because as we know, there is an enemy. There's an enemy of truth. There's an enemy of truth. And when we follow Jesus, that makes it your enemy too and my enemy. Matthew 2, verses 1 through 21. And we're not going to read this. It's a big passage. So I'm going to describe it. And I have it kind of in bullet form here. But this is really a couple of years after Jesus' birth. The wise men are going to visit this king that was just born. So they're traveling from the east. Now what you have to know is, who told them that a king was born to the Jews? God did. Why did God do that? I mean, why is he over, you know, speaking over in the east? Because he cares about the east. Because it's going to be the king of the east also. He's telling the world, we know about the East. We don't even know. But God is speaking everywhere. And the scripture says when he declares this stuff, it's like the armies of heaven chime in, singing glory to what has happened. Not, not just creation, but all of God's entity was waiting and longing for Christmas. We look at it as a day on the calendar, a holiday. Well, it's a holiday for some. Some don't even have it as a holiday. It's a day when you get some gifts or give some gifts. Maybe it's a day you're most depressed. Maybe it's a day when you have to hang out with family that you don't like. 
But those are the ways we tend to look at Christmas. But creation did not look at Christmas that way. And the heavenly host and the armies of heaven did not look at Christmas that way. They looked at Christmas as the fulfillment of truth and a promise that was ancient. And they had longed for it since the loss of man. Christmas. is our place of hope. The wise men came to worship. So they were searching for Jesus. So they asked the, they asked the king, King Herod, hey, where is the, the king of the Jews that was just born? He goes, what? Competition? A threat? A problem? The way to deal with that is to assassinate the child. So what Herod says is, gee, you know, I don't know, but when you find him, please come back and let me know. I want to go worship him too. Right. So they went. They found the child. But what does God do? He intervenes. He tells them, hey, don't do it. So they go back a different way so they don't go through where Herod is. You see what God was doing? Protecting the promise. He was protecting your rescue and my rescue. He was intentional. He was nurturing his rescue. All of creation was engaged in the rescue. But man might have been, you know, like this. But, but the heavenly hosts were empowered and engaged in that moment. So they went back a different way. And when he sees this, that he has been tricked, here's his strategy. He got the wise men. Tell me where this kid is supposed to be. How old is he supposed to be? So he sent his men to kill all the boys two years old and under. But God intervened. And he told Mary and Joseph, get out of there. Go to Egypt. I'll tell you when it's safe to return. Do you know that God will do that for you and me? You know, so often we are in an environment. We allow ourselves to be in an environment that is hostile to our hope. It's hostile to God's story in our life. Do you know that God will rescue you in that moment? Do you know that he's wise about what's going down and he's capable of protecting the truth, the promise, the story in your life? We see how Satan uses men to carry out his will. All you have to do is have a man that feels threatened by power. It could be a relative. It could be the inheritance. It could be anything. Men, and I'm just talking about humanity, will do some bizarre things in the name of power and money 
all kinds of things. Satan has a lot of people who will do his bidding. I want us to know it's God who shared the good news with those far away. It was God who put upon their heart to come and worship a baby. It was God who did that. What is he doing? He's nurturing his truth. He's nurturing his story. He's nurturing your truth. He's nurturing your story. He's nurturing my truth, my story. He's protecting it. He's nurturing it. You and I had every bit as much in the balance as Mary and and Joseph did. Salvation for all humanity. Taking away the sins of the world. God warns the wise men. God tells the parents to leave. God tells them when to return. It's God's story. It's God's show. We're playing in the story with him. Are we playing the story against him? The story is still in play today. Christmas is still engaging humanity. The power of the rescue is meeting people every day. How is God's intervention doing in you? How's it doing in me? Has God given you direction at some point and you've lost that direction? You've been worn out on it. You've given up on it. Can you think of anywhere in the Bible that has given you a promise that you have surrendered a bit? You're letting go of Christmas. You're letting it become a a holiday, a cheap gift, a party, too much alcohol, too many cookies. It's becoming something far less than the most powerful intervention in creation. What is God's direction? in you have you told God let it be exactly as you have said have you put the full weight of your authority into what God has spoken in you and over you at some point in your life has the scripture produced those words in you. Let it be, Lord, exactly as you have said. That's God's gift to you and I. It's his Christmas gift.
are we looking with expectation for his revelation? Are we stepping into the truth we know, even when there's a lot of it we feel like we don't? Are we staying strong in what we have, even though we feel like there are questions not answered? God is exercising the very same care and attention in your life and mine that he did in Mary and Joseph's. You are not less important than Joseph or Mary. Your role is different. But you have a role. You have a purpose. And God's Christmas gift to you is, I can nurture intent, my promise and my truth in you. And it will produce life. It will produce the same quality that Jesus' life produced. It will produce eternal quality. For us, Christmas loses its identity very often in what we have done with Christmas. But Christmas is your story and mine being rescued. If we could stand.